Welcome back to Love, Life, and Legacy, the podcast dedicated to helping you navigate these hyper-sexualized times. And in today's episode, I am interviewing one of our latest hires, one of our newest staff members, Araceli, who is really cool and somebody who you're going to love hearing from. And she's offering a very unique perspective uh, of, a, of a woman who went through our Ascend programs and who benefited greatly. You know how I can tell? Because she's happily married um, with an amazing and very tall husband. No guarantees that if you go through our programs, you get a very tall husband because you just can't make those kind of guarantees. As a short person myself, I just don't even understand tall people, so I cannot speak for them. But uh, definitely she outlines what it was like growing up feeling disconnected from God because of sexual integrity reasons and how she restored that in order to feel kind of redeemed to use a religious term or healed or fulfilled so that she could be ready for the man of her dreams so please listen this is a great episode it's very sincere very beautiful and i hope you enjoy araceli everybody welcome back everybody we have another guest on this beautiful podcast of ours and the reason so is because I don't want to say she invited herself to the podcast, but when somebody has a very strong conviction, we want to hear from them. And Araceli um, has been around for a while. Um, let me explain. <laughs> the first time I met you was in Argentina in a workshop. And I think I it was, that was a crazy workshop because it was my first time in South America. And I went to the the workshop with the craziest music I've ever heard. They were so alive yeah. that there's one song that they played that, that everybody lift all the guys, let me specify the guys, got so fired up that they started lifting chairs over their head and were dancing around because they were so hyped. And I've never seen anything yeah. like it. But it was I was speaking for two days or three days straight all day it was like a marathon and i had somebody translating i had emmanuel shout out to my twin brother emmanuel who was um, translating for me the entire time and so speaking for two days straight to a bunch of people who didn't understand hardly a word that i said and araceli was there and was one of the few people who were like very fluent in english and so she just posted up and parked and we just First time we talked, it was for like an hour straight, yeah? Mm, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. She was a really early adopter of High Noon and just really open, really kind, and really kind of got it. And then from then on, she's been kind of involved. So you've been around, you've been hardcore, you've been, you've been a part of our world for a long time. So welcome, Araceli. And, and I want to know your last name because I don't know if you got a new last name because you're newly blessed. Thank you. Um, we still haven't worked that out. It's all Maria Alejo Girano. It's fine. <laughs> My new okay. added last name. So I know somebody who gave up their last name. She's a she's a she. She just got blessed, and her husband has the most complicated name in the world. So you, Girano is very doable. So it's doable. 
<laughs> it's it's yeah. a weird combination, like a very Latin, you know, Western name, and then Hirano. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's not usual. <laughs> so, no, we like it's the usual in both. our church. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is definitely. The unusual is usual in our church. <laughs> yeah. So, let's start at the beginning. Um, what was it like? Did you know anything about High Noon before I came to Argentina? Or was that your first exposure? No, that was my first first exposure. I didn't know anything about it. And it was amazing. That mm. first talk you gave, uh, you know, presenting High Noon. And it blew my mind. It was like, I, it was like like at the perfect time for me and this, the right thing that I needed to hear at the right time. That was the right thing I needed to hear right now. <laughs> uh, and so you grew up in Argentina, like in Buenos Aires or in the countryside yes. or what? No, like always in the city, uh, the capital of Argentina, Buenos Aires city. And born and raised <laughs> and my mom is Brazilian and my, my dad is Argentinian, but, uh, and he is from the countryside, but we were born, we lived most of our lives in Minnesota city and I was born there. And growing up in the church, was there any talk about sex or relationships of any kind, or was it just chapter two in divine principle workshops? <laughs> well, I think my parents did talk about it, you know, for our level at each stage, let's say. Um, and at church, you could say the chapter two thing was very much just that, <laughs> what they would share. Yeah. Got it. So you kind of grew up um expecting to go to the blessing or uh oh yes uh, you weren't sure yes. yeah 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 but like like that was the, the thing that from the very beginning of everything <laughs> uh part of my life part of my purpose identity like i wanted what my parents had and their experience with the blessing like they always talked about it and they always told us like they always tell that we were going to do the same you know we we're gonna get the blessing and and you know we needed to grow for that so that was something that was like very close to my life hmm. cool and kind of like you wanted a happy family or you're just excited for the lore of the blessing that it's some big important um you know event in your life you wanted to go to some like the blessing ceremony or like you just really bought into the blessed life mm, i guess it's a bit of both like i wanted the family right that like everything the ideal that came with the blessing, right? And uh, um, and I always saw, at least from my experience, or what I heard from my parents' experience, 
I wanted to participate in the blessing, right? I didn't mm. have, uh, I kind of had like some expectations about, you know, what or how is how it's going to be like, but at the same time, I knew that it wasn't going to be the same, right? Because it was, uh, it's a different time, right? So, but I always wanted to go. I had the expectation of, you know, receiving <laughs> the blessing with true father there, right? That was mm-hmm. always the dream. And then, so that you have this dream from a very young age, and then kind of right on the precipice of being of the age where you're ready for it, High Noon just jumps in your life and probably shook things up a little bit. Now, let me ask you this, okay? Because you are you were raised in a healthy, happy family, right? Um, yeah. And what we're getting from a, a few people, I don't want to make it seem like a bigger deal than it is, but it's been happening enough to be frustrating is that we have a few people who are strongly of the belief that we shouldn't talk about sex openly as a movement because there are these pure little angels in our movement that might be shocked to know that the world is in a perfect place and that we might tarnish them in some way. And knowledge of reality is ultimately a net negative and it's going to traumatize them in some way. So they, they're like these perfect clouds and we might be a, a damper on their, on their perfection. So um, from that perspective of like a fairly healthy person, happy family who wants to go to the blessing, um, you're not a heroin addict, you, you know, this, this, <laughs> you know, young, innocent yeah. lady. And then high noon comes and starts presenting these ideas that, hey, guess what? The world's not perfect, but we can work on it and make it a much more habitable place. If we deal with our demons, did that destroy your life? Or how, how was it when, when you heard this content for the first time? <laughs> well, actually, um, like the opposite. Like It actually really helped me. It helped me believe that even though I had flaws, even though I had made mistakes, um, that life, that vision, that ideal was still possible, that dream, right? And it actually lifted like a big um, weight from my shoulders, knowing that I was able to still um, work on my dream, you know, get the dream, even if I had made, you know, some mistakes. Hmm. So... You had the audacity to not be perfect, is what you're saying. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, this is this is a real. I get where it's coming from, but there mm-hmm. are. Uh, I don't want to say it's either men or women. It seems to be parents mm-hmm. of both genders, both. I said both too, that <laughs> have this strongly held belief. And they're in the minority, but they're 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 a vocal, powerful minority of people that just really think that somehow if you close your eyes and your ears and you say la 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 loud enough, then the problem will go away and their kids will somehow end up in a healthy blessing if you mm-hmm. if you don't talk about this. So, um, first of all, you admitting that you're not perfect is must have been a little bit tough, right? 
because you have these right before this call, you and I that we're having right now, uh, high noon staff had just had a call and we were, we realized that we haven't really spent a lot of time as a team defining shadows, but shadows come in many forms and there's a crap ton of shadows in the realm of sexuality, but it's anything that blocks you from experiencing the love of God. Right. And everybody has something that they need to work on in order to clean up that relationships to, to gain uh, stronger access. So, um, Sometimes when we, we present information, like we do events or whatever, some people hear these stats or they hear the story that we're telling and it's discouraging, but somehow you are encouraged. So can you kind of get into that a little bit? Like why, why were you not depressed by depressing information? Why was it uplifting mm-hmm. for you to know that the world is going through a bit of an awkward phase in terms of sexuality and has been for a while. Mm. That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I, I've always been aware of that, of the world being, you know, not in a very good place, you know, very like dealing with this, um, crazy blockage, right. In the realm of sexuality. Um, even as, as a little child, like, um, it wasn't hard to, um, notice, right. And it, um, I think especially, I don't know why, especially, but in my, um, school kids were very sexualized, like sex, um, maybe not that, but sexuality around it, uh, was very much like very close to the surface and, and, and in every like relationship there were some sort of um sexual exploitation in a way you know um they didn't even notice it they didn't know what they were doing right um but it was like part of the culture you, there is like this tv you know realities and you see like um people basically naked, like competing for a dance TV show or something like that. You know, it's part of the culture and it's like they consider it normal. And growing up with, you know, inside of this culture at church, it was very noticeable that there was something wrong. Right. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have to be very smart to understand that there was something wrong with it in the world in general. So because I had this dream, this ideal that I wanted to get the blessing, I thought I had to be perfect, right? Not make any mistakes in order to get it. Um, and, and also I had this idea that, you know, in order for me to get like a good husband, I must be perfect basically. Right. Um, so yeah, it actually, like there was a workshop that I had like at 13, 14 years old that they shared the Chani Oguk um, standard, you know, of sexuality. And they said, you know, if you had, if you hugged a brother, you know, someone from the opposite gender, you already lost your purity. Jesus. <laughs> and I was, yes. And I was wow. like, what? I'm 14 years old. And in Argentina, we hug everyone. We're like, you know, Latinos. <laughs> we <laughs> hug, we kiss each other to say hello, right? We, to greet each other. And in the cheek, of course. <laughs> and 
I was like, so you mean to say that I lost my purity without knowing just because, you know, we have this culture. I was like um, shocked, right, surprised. And it made no sense for me, but I also, it also stuck with me, right? The fact that, you know, oh, I need to like really work on that or, or you know, I need to control that, check that more, you know, be more aware of that. Um, but can I ask just right there about that point? Because yeah. that's that's the point when a lot of people might just give up on the whole thing because they're like, well, I'm mm -hmm. already impure. That's come up on the mm -hmm. podcast a little bit. I think Kayla mentioned it, but it's a disincentive for some people to even try because if I'm already a failure, why would I continue trying at something that I've already failed at? So mm -hmm. why was it that you were able to interpret that as you've lost your purity, but you still can work on yourself. Was that explained that you can redeem yourself in those in, in by that criteria of purity, or did was that just interpreted? You interpreted it yourself. Well, I think that I I was able to interpret that standard for like think about the the motive, right? If you're hugging someone with like a weird or a different intention other than just, you know, saying hi, right? And just like um, with more of a sexual tone to it, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, okay, that must, that should be the case that, you know, okay, I understand why you would say, in you know, less, lost your period, purity if you had hugged someone with a sexual idea in mind, let's say, right? But if your heart was you know, if your motive, your heart was pure in that uh, interaction, it shouldn't really mean anything else other than, you know, you're hugging your brother, right? Because that's what I, that's what, that's the way I thought about it. I was, you know, interacting and having relationships with my brothers. It wasn't anything else other than that. So it made no sense for yeah. me to think that I would lose my purity just because of that. And I, um, I think I decided just to take it that way and see, <laughs> it, because also like, you know, if you're telling me this at 14, instead of at five, you can't expect, <laughs> sorry, can't expect me to be like, you know, not have done anything like that. Right. Uh, sure. so I, I, I guess I decided just to ignore it in a way, <laughs> um, because I thought I knew my motives were, were pure, let's say. I, I wasn't doubting that, you know, anything about my motives. So I didn't really take it for myself and just moved on. <laughs> Did you continue hugging boys after that? Or were you scared, you know, was... scared to do something bad? <laughs> I was discouraged to do that. <laughs> uh, and so I guess I didn't do Again, I didn't get that much close, like physically, to my brothers anymore after that. Uh, also, depending on the relationship. But yes, I wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna do everything that I did before. No, um, like as usual. Like I was like more conscious about it, and I was like really thinking, like, am I <laughs> hugging this person because you know I love them, like in a pure way or am I getting something out of this you know I started to be very uh, aware of that and also it was just about the time that I started to not go to church <laughs> that much that often 
Um, so it kind of worked <laughs> perfect <laughs> that I wasn't really interacting with my brothers from the community, from the church, um, because I wasn't going. Um, but it did, it did make me feel like I couldn't really get too much, like too close to my brothers, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I want to unpack that a little bit for everybody there because to say such a thing, like you shouldn't hug your brothers and sisters, like the opposite gender, um, is a reaction. Um, but to react to something like that, like I just did, is also a reaction to a reaction. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to also understand the reasons why somebody would say that kind of thing out loud. And it's the parental position is really clear that you want the best for your kids, right? And for any community, they want the best for that next generation. And they understand the follies of dating and how easy it is to slip into sexual relationships. Like, especially in this world, it's just, it's like a half a millimeter away at any time, right? You just whip out your phone. Sex is very cheap these days in society. So it's, it's super easy. So the idea of understanding that and trying to scare people away from going down that road is somewhat understandable, but it also creates a whole lot of dysfunction if you don't have a healthy outlet for touch. Touch is really important. Yeah. We just had a conversation with that about that within the Heinen staff uh, a few days ago, and we're going to have more because it is something that you do have to really understand right like uh i hug people that are that are women that are not my wife but i'm also mm -hmm. very clear when i do it so your motivation is actually really important but yeah. this is something that comes with maturity and so it's easier to just tell a bunch of people who are younger and less mature to just avoid the whole thing but in fact mm -hmm. long term it usually causes more problem than good because you're not explaining to them that this is actually a really important need that we all have, which is physical touch. And if it goes unmet, you turn weird and you turn unhealthy. Um, mm -hmm. But there's, you do have to watch out because you're playing with fire. So you like in the presence yeah. of others is a great principle, right? Like hug, yeah. uh, like you as a, you're, you're blessed. You, you have a, you love your husband. I'm sure mm -hmm. you still hug guys now and again, but it's not in a way yeah. that you wouldn't hug if your husband wasn't present. So it's like, For sure. when you're clear, then it makes sense. But if you're just, again, justifying saying, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Actually, it, it's a huge deal because your heart touches that person's heart when you hug them. There's, there's mm -hmm. a transaction there. And if it's not a pure heart, then it's the seeds for something else, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's like there's a lot of nuance. And uh, typically, uh, our society these days doesn't like nuance. It's just easier to take a stance and fight for it at all costs <laughs> instead of yeah. exploring all the details. But touch, touch is, uh, has a lot of nuance, right? Like mm -hmm. if somebody gives you a high five, it's just your hands touching. But if you high five for longer than 10 seconds, it's actually, you're basically holding hands. Mm. And then that's yeah. just kind of weird. So like, you know, to, <laughs> touch is not just touch. There's a lot that we interpret because of touch. Yeah. So I just wanted to unpack that for the sake of everybody that 
it's not good to just accept when there's some decree or rule, but it's also not good just to reject. Both are very mm -hmm. immature. It's really important. A mature person tries to understand. So um, it seems like you, when you when you heard this information, you just kind of received it, took note of it, applied it to the degree that it made sense, which mm -hmm. um, at that time you stopped going to church, but that eliminated a lot of the situations where you might be hugging. And then at what point, because I met you at a church workshop, so you, you distanced yourself for a little bit and then you came back. Do you come back as a hugger? Or like, how did that, <laughs> how did that pan out um, prior to the blessing? Mm. Uh, I just wanted to touch on the, how did I interpret the, you know, the standard a bit more? Because uh, talking about it, I remember that I don't know if it was the person that presented the standard or my mom, probably my parents, um, or my, might have been both that they said that, right? This, this comes from true parents, right? And, you know, a lot of it came from true mother's exp experience, right? Um, and so they, they kind of explained that in Korea it's very usual for, you know, sisters and brothers to be like separated and, and they don't really interact that much. There is not that, there is not that much, you know, friendship between brothers and sisters until there is like the blessing. Right. Uh, and then there is like a lot of, um, um, care or, or women are very aware of, you know, what they show in their, um, clothes right and how they dress um which is a culture completely different to argentina um so i also took that into account right to to that's why i was able to interpret that um those standards and apply them to the degree that i was able to um but to your question um yeah i became very very distant from people actually I distanced myself a lot um, it wasn't just because of that there were many other things of course but then it, it did it did do something right that I wasn't um, open to too much closeness right uh, physical yeah. or even emotional to people in general <laughs> so I was very closed off actually um, so when you met me, actually, when you met me, it wasn't, it wasn't the start of me going back to church. It was already like two years in the process of going back to church. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't because I wanted to <laughs> that I started going back to church. It was um, my mom pushing me go, to go to these workshops that we do on, on the summer. Um, and so... I don't remember if it was 2019. I think it was 2019 that you came to the workshop. It was before that. It was like 2018 or 2017. It was pretty early on. Mm, okay. So it was like there <laughs> in the middle of it. Uh, the, the years like blurred out, but I think I don't remember if I did. There's like the GPA course that they do in America. There's something similar in Argentina. It's a different you know, course, of course, but, you know, a one year, um, thing. And I think I was going to do it either after you had 
done had you know presented the Hainan um, or before I can't remember very well right now <laughs> but yeah it was around there okay and so let's just you you're you're at that time your mom is cajoling you she's convincing you she's pushing you back into church community yeah. You are still sorting through your own beliefs, and then you hear this stuff about high noon. Does that help you? When you heard that, does that help you understand your faith and appreciate it more? Or, does it, or is it like a wedge in between you and your faith? Does it enhance your faith, or does it challenge your faith when you hear what, what we presented? Well, it actually enhanced it as you say it made me understand um at a much deeper level how god you know is waiting for us right and you know we can't expect to be perfect <laughs> and there is a lot of people that are not from church right that we're not expecting for them to be perfect right and uh, God is not going to reject you just because, you know, you're not perfect and you've made mistakes. Mm -hmm. And even though we say that, even though it is said uh, that God is not going to reject you, that God loves us unconditionally, we don't really understand what it means, right, in terms of in my relationship with God. <laughs> how yeah. does that, like, uh, how does that, um, looks like right and feels like sure. for God to be unconditional to you right to me uh, and so the fact that uh, so the, those ideas and, and the high noon that, that, that you presented um, actually made me understand how um, you know God loves us and has a way for us to go back to him hmm. yeah Again, that's that can be misunderstood and misinterpreted, and it has been. We've been accused of, if we focus on grace, then it, some people say that we're leaving the door open for people to justify their mistakes, right? Because if you're like, oh, you'll be forgiven if you make mistakes, then some people interpret that to mean, hey, make a lot of mistakes. It's okay. We're all going to heaven, mm -hmm. which is actually a lot of Christians have somehow warped Jesus's words into meaning yeah. that exact thing is like, mm -hmm. Oh, I, you know, I, I went to baptism, so I'm good. Right. <laughs> um, whereas that's the most immature way that a yeah. child could understand their parents' heart is like, yes, your parents are in a way forced to love you regardless of how terrible you treat them because that's the parental heart. But you miss out on experiencing their love if you treat them badly because you're now abusing them. And the same thing is true of us with God. It's like, just because God will forgive you a million times after you make a million mistakes, every single one of those mistakes comes with consequences for you and for the world around you. And now you're setting all sorts of bad conditions. And so, again, just a point worth clarifying, because when you talk about grace, it's somehow a touchy topic that Mm. We're allowed to not be perfect is not permission to go out of your way to do stupid stuff. It just means right. that we don't 
perfection isn't really on the table for any of us. We're going to hurt people along the way, hurt ourselves along the way, just out of ignorance. That's yeah. being in a perpetual state of ignorance because we're always evolving and learning. And so learning, part of the learning process is making mistakes. So that is not a justification for doing stupid stuff because there are consequences. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify. Um, yeah. And so you felt that, that, you know, God's unconditional love is a real thing. And then what did you do with that? Like, um, why did, why were you so attracted to high noon and, and to being a part of that? What, why did you decide to get involved and how did you do it? Well, to add to this clarification, right, of grace not being misused, I think, and which is connected to your question, I think the, I felt that there was a block, right, to my connection with God, to my being able to feel God's love, even though I could understand it intellectually, I wasn't able to feel it, right? So what uh, what I did after I um, met Hainun, let's say, for the first time, um, <laughs> actually, it was talk to you, right? We talked for an hour and it was the first time that I was able to talk uh, openly right, about myself to anyone. Um, sorry. It's okay. Um, the reason I wanted to get involved with High Noon was because I had developed a habit of masturbation and I didn't know how to come back from it to God. That was blocking my relationship with God, even though in every other aspect it was great, right? And I had a good relationship with my parents and, and, you know, I was pretty much doing okay (laughs) apart from that, right? But I didn't feel God's love. I didn't really, I was just like intellectually and basically out of my commitment with myself and with God, I was there. But I didn't know that 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 was like accept. I didn't know if I was accepted. I didn't know if I if I was like deserving of you know the blessing of God's love, mm-hmm. right? So I was just there because I knew it was the best thing, and I wanted to get that, and that was my dream, right? Um, and I thought, you know, I guess I could compensate it, you know, like indemnify, as to say. But even though um, I saw myself doing stuff in order to compensate my mistakes, let's say, I still didn't feel anything, right? Um, So that was the reason I decided to get involved, because after I I heard your talk, a lot of things made sense, right? Like, um, dawn on me, a lot of things that... uh, that I was thinking that they were blocking my way to God, my way to feel feeling God's love for me. And that was the start of a long process for me to be able to feel God's love. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you for getting emotional. Sometimes uh, in our staff meetings at Mitsue is the only one who gets really emotional and representing mm-hmm. womankind. And sometimes she apologizes, and then I realize we should probably be apologizing more for not being <laughs> emotional, for being stones. Some, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I appreciate your vulnerability. 
And I would love to ask you, because our world, if you do any amount of basic research online about masturbation, every psychologist that you can pretty much access and culturally and all that, it's like not only approved of, but recommended, like almost prescribed as a way of getting through life. And so we're definitely at cultural odds in that respect because we're not taking the religious approach of saying that you're going to go blind or trying scare tactics. It's not about that, (laughs) right? It's what are you missing by doing certain activities? Because there are always, you know, associated, you know, benefits and, and consequences to every single action. So for you, why do you equate doing something like masturbating with um, feeling an absence of God's love in your life? You know, we don't have to go into details about the act of masturbation to, to talk about the details of the, the kind of relationship aspect that between you and God and why would masturbation inhibit you in, in some way from that? I think it's really important for people to understand that. Yeah. Mm. There's, there's a lot of things um, to that. Um, I think the main way for me that felt like um, something that prevented me from feeling God was because I knew it was wrong, right? I didn't know why, but I knew it was wrong. And even because though I knew it was people wrong, told you it was wrong because of workshops or there's something in your original heart or something beyond, or was it because some people would argue that you were just brainwashed to believe that it was mm. wrong. <laughs> did you believe that it was wrong or did you know it was wrong in your heart? There's a difference. I knew it was wrong in my heart because I didn't feel good after doing it, right? After, um, I had been told that it wasn't good, of course. And I never thought I would ever develop something <laughs> like that habit for, for myself because I thought of myself as like as a good child, right? Uh, almost like the perfect child. I was trying to be that, right? So when I developed that, then in a way, it kind of crashed the idea of myself as a good child um, and my identity as such basically shattered, right? And I didn't know how to go back to feeling myself. Um, And so I was told that it was wrong for many reasons that I couldn't really understand it. Like I'm very rational. So for me, it needs to make sense. Right. So it didn't make sense for me. Um, and so I couldn't, I couldn't like stop myself from that habit because I didn't know all the reasons it was wrong. Right. Even though I felt bad, right. Because I had that habit, I couldn't understand how was it bad for me other than you know your spirit like spiritually it's wrong like that was like the main main thing that they would say uh to me like you are having like a connection with the the spirit the spiritual world through doing that um and i guess that was too abstract for me so i couldn't really understand how that would impact 
my being, my identity, my relationship with God, or even my life in general, and my connection with other people as well. Because my relationship with myself was like at odds, right? Because I had this contradiction right there. And so, but I didn't know that because I thought it was only spiritual and I, I didn't really understand what that meant in my life, in my identity, in my person. Hmm. Okay. And so you felt like it was wrong and that you felt guilty afterwards and that would just linger like there's because you were talking about kind of rectifying your mistakes or indemnifying them or something but still you would hold on to this guilt um Mm -hmm. and that was not resolvable through other other means like you there's no way that you could kind of feel redeemed no because because I I saw myself hiding, right? And so even though in hiding I was trying to, you know, redeem myself, I wasn't letting, you know, God through my parents know that I was redeeming myself because of that, right? They didn't know. And so I was like doing conditions and I was doing, you know, whatever I thought could, could be good for me to redeem myself. But I wasn't telling them, right? So I thought it didn't really, like, it wasn't really, it didn't count, let's say, <laughs> because they didn't know why was it for, right? So I yeah. was still hiding. So I was still lying. And so I didn't really feel like, felt like I was redeeming myself, you know, all the way. Sure. No, that's, that's it. I mean, so many people, like high noon is the last resort for a lot of people because they think that they can just resolve this on their own and they don't understand Mm -hmm. that the fact that they are alone is the reason why they're struggling. (laughs) So the amount of effort that they're putting into ending the struggle by being alone, they're just fueling the fire of their struggle even more. So, Yeah. yeah. So then did you tell your, did you eventually talk to your parents? I eventually talked to my parents, and I think it was in that seminar. Um, oh, really? Yeah, right after it, I I knew that I had to <laughs> tell Probably them. Probably cut them you... off guard. They're like, oh, you went to a church seminar. What'd you learn? And you're like, ah. <laughs> well, I knew I, w- I had to tell them, right, Okay. for me to start the process of redeeming myself would say or recovering and being honest with myself and them right and you know i had told you and you were the first person i told um but i knew i had to do something you know i couldn't just leave things like that right uh so i wanted and because you know hainan wasn't in spanish at that time <laughs> i couldn't really and I didn't feel confident in my English enough to, you know, be part of uh, the course. I, um, I guess I had to go through the process of um, recovering with my parents. Um, and so I tried to do that with my parents. That the first step was, of course, letting them know. And then after that, uh, I received, you know, um, all the grace from my parents. They they completely understood and they were able to 
be there and support me and and make me feel loved um and then you know they were open to doing whatever they could whatever i needed for for us uh to work on that together right um so yeah that that's how that started um I mean, it was <laughs> it was a bit of a struggle because I didn't really know that much about it, you know, like um, how to uh, get rid of a habit or how to um, how to work on other habits, how you know how that impacted everything. <laughs> um, like I didn't know anything about it really, so um, that's when I decided to you know join Hainan. Uh, First, as translator, you know, volunteering to translate into Spanish, which gave me a lot of important information for me to understand what was the process that I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. And then once uh, Hainun became uh, Hainun Latin America, and I was able to actually be part of a, the um, Ascend course. Mm. And how was your experience with the programs aspect? Well, it was it was very interesting. It was amazing, actually. Um, it was it was the first step for me to feel like I was actually growing in ways that I hadn't before, um, in ever before, because. As volunteers, we did like a first trial of this course in Spanish. All the volunteers, mm -hmm. like women volunteers, and we were in a in the group together. Um, and I was asked to be the facilitator, right? So my first course, my first um, program, I was being a facilitator in, and that was for me was very important because it was the first time I was taking responsibility not only for myself but also for a group of people right um and it was amazing it was an amazing experience um and it made me grow it made me grow my heart a lot you know like not only being able to expose myself to these sisters um and get support from them but also for them to you know get vulnerable, expose themselves to the whole group and get support from all of us. Um, mm. And it was amazing. What yes. What about it was, well, I, there's a lot of assumptions there, but I know you're doing better now. I know you ended up, mm -hmm. you know, getting matched, getting blessed. And so mm -hmm. in that, what, what was the process that you were really in? You were learning to talk about it was that really what transformed you is just having community and accountability or like what were the key elements of your your healing through the programs mm, i think the most important aspect for me was the connection aspect the mm -hmm. um, being able to um be vulnerable and feel safe to do it and um yeah not be afraid of being judged or or you know, use that against me or anything like that right and being able to 
as I was listening to other sisters, I was able to also see myself in them, but also um, learn from them, right, through their own experiences. Um, that was the main thing, but also accountability because we would be uh, right challenging ourselves to do something during the week or during a month, and we would really like we were very um, committed to actually being um, having integrity and, and doing what we had set out to do. So that accountability aspect was also very good. Um, but yeah, feeling like I had sisters that I could trust that, that we were going through the same thing and that we were supporting each other was, I think, the main thing that mm. um, helped me a lot. Yeah, yeah. And that... How did how did this uh, culture impact your matching? This is because that was you got started before the matching, but then it, uh, you ended up getting matched. You ended up getting blessed. So how did this impact you and your process? Yeah, well, right after that first program, that was like twenty twenty. Um, I started to facilitate other groups, other. Uh, both in Spanish and in English, right? I was better at English at that point. <laughs> and um, I was learning a lot to, from basically, you know, how to support other people, how to give them grace, how to allow them to feel safe, the same way I had felt in that first group. Um, and I also had learned a lot of information, you know, psychological, you know, theoretical, <laughs> and pragmatical about the whole aspect of um, recovery and what it, what people need during that time, right? Um, and so I had a lot of training, basically, uh, for me to be able to support my um, my future spouse, <laughs> and it helped a lot. Uh, with my matching and during my matching process for us to be able to talk about those things without shame mm -hmm. without you know judging each other and really with the the motive of of helping each other or at least if we weren't if we weren't going to help each other at least you know we fully knew ourselves yeah i really knew who my matching was and my matching knew who i was and there was no uh secrets no shadows as to say and um that was a for me that was something very important but not only that uh when it came to the point that this my spouse needed in the matching process that they, they he needed um support um, I was able to you know, offer some advice and and support and um, and also I was able to not feel um, offended by that, right? <laughs> um, mm. And so that helped a lot for him to be able to open up to myself, to me, and and for him to be able to share what he was feeling, what he was going through, and and so I was able to. Yeah, to listen to him without judgment, without rejection. Um, and that was very helpful for him as well, to feel comfortable, to share that and to feel supported. And, and yeah, basically that. 
Would you consider yourselves a high noon couple? Living the high noon um, life together? Yes. <laughs> yes, I think we, we are. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we think you are, for sure. Um, and so, well, I just want to let everybody know that Araceli also really wanted to open up the conversation about um, what it's like to go through this process as a woman with other women. So we're going to be inviting different women onto the podcast to hear more from the female perspective, because absolutely, if you look at the library of episodes, there's a, a huge majority of just dude stuff because I'm a dude. Sammy was a dude. I don't know what he is now. And then Benji is a dude. So we typically attract dude conversations, but um, for sure, you know, we love having women on. So Araceli is going to help open that gate because she's been a huge bridge to the, the female world, right? Pioneering in Latin America and being a big part of that. And now, Araceli, what, you just got hired with High Noon. What, what do you do with yeah. us? Um, I'm the program coordinator now <laughs> for mm. High Noon in America. <laughs> Which means what? What do you do? Which means I am helping to create or improve the programs that we are um, doing and mm -hmm. helping to think about what people need and how we can best um, support them through our programs. Um, yeah, and make them as better as they can be for people to be able to be successful in their programs, in their growth process um, together with Hayden. Beautiful. Yeah, she's going to help us become more world-class in our programs and our <laughs> online offerings. So well, thank you for joining us as uh, High Noon staff. And, um, thank you. you know, like I said, we're going to be having um, more people on and, and Araceli is going to be our Sherpa into the world of women. She's going to help <laughs> us understand women by introducing us to these <laughs> women in the wild. Um, <laughs> Do you have any, any last words, anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to say um, before we take a hike? No, I think it would pretty much cover <laughs> um, everything. I mean, we could always go deeper, but this was everything. <laughs> Great. Well, how are you now? I mean, where, where are you living now and how are you and your husband doing? Um, living in Argentina. I'm trying to finish my college course <laughs> and um, living with my husband now in Argentina and we're doing great. I'm very happy and yeah, very much experience, <laughs> experiencing um, joy, happiness and love. Thank mm. God. <laughs> yeah, it's worth the effort for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you for being so vulnerable today and talking about this. And for all of you listening, you know, whenever somebody opens up, it's an opportunity for you to follow in their lead. They're demonstrating courage, which is the last of the five high noon virtues. Courage, because mm -hmm. courage ties all the other virtues together. It's kind of like mm -hmm. the base of the soup for the other ingredients. So... 
Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for being courageous. And then also all you sisters out there or brothers or anybody, just don't forget that courage is infectious. And so step up, talk to us, reach out, go through this process. Araceli was talking about how powerful just having community was. That's what we're providing is family and community through our program. So sign up and thank you, Araceli, for joining us. And we'll see you soon in another episode with another woman, with you as our guide. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you.